Good morning again. Remember, he's the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the brother of uh, Esau. And so as you know, Jacob has this history of being someone who was a bit of a conniver, right? So he tricks his brother out of his inheritance and his father's blessing, uh, which makes Esau so mad that he's like ready to kill Jacob. Like literally, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob takes off to the land of his ancestors to find uh, a bride for himself and then to kind of wait out Esau's rage. And on the first night of the journey, he falls asleep. He has this dream in which God told him the same thing that he told his father and his grandfather. He, sa <laughs> he says, I am your God. I will give you this land. Your descendants will be many. And then God said this, and I think this is a significant promise. In Genesis 28, verse 15, God said, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And we'll bring you back. We'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Okay, it's going to be one of those kind of days. Sorry for the cough, but here we go. All right, now, if Genesis was a movie, like Jacob would be perfect from here on out, right? He'd probably be taller. His clothes would fit better, right? He, he, he would, his prayers would be answered right away. He, he would meet each challenge with a calm, quiet confidence, right? But guess what? Genesis, not a movie. Right? It's real-life record of real-life people making real-life mistakes in the midst of real-life situations. Man, the people of Genesis, just regular people like you and I, and Jacob struggles through life, and everything doesn't always go his way. Right? He, he doesn't always respond to circumstances in the perfect way. And as Jacob's stories continues, we see some growth in his life. And sometimes we don't see much growth at all. Sound familiar? I think it's good for us to see things in Jacob because it teaches us something about ourselves. I think sometimes in our day we kind of think like life's all good or all bad. There's no in-between. And I kind of think that in life there's an in-between, right? In life... The, the, the transformation process takes years, maybe even decades, to make it happen. Here's the spoiler alert about Jacob. Over time, there's growth in his life. There's trans transformation in his life. And, and, and later, God refers to, to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of what? Jacob. 
When God of the universe attaches your name to his, you know there's some transformation that's taking place, right? So, so let me walk through these 30 verses with us. And after we're done, we're going to see three lessons uh, that we can learn from Jacob. And so Jacob wakes up through, uh, from this dream, and, and he continues his journey to Haran, where his family's from. So verses 1 through 3, uh, as his journey comes to an end, Jacob arrives at this well outside of town where he meets up with some shepherds that, that are waiting to water the flocks. So he asks them, like, where are you guys from? They're like, Haran. Oh, he's like, that's where my family lives. Verses 4 to 10, Jacob asks the shepherds if they knew Laban, right? Remember Laban is his uncle? I've mentioned him before, and the shepherds were like, yeah, we, we know Laban. In fact, here comes his daughter, Rachel, and she's a shepherd as, as well. And so Jacob says to him, but hey, it's early in that, why are you watering the sheep and the goats so, so they can return to the pasture? So the shepherds have this, like, what I call like a weak sauce excuse, right? The, the, the well is covered by this heavy stone, and so each day they would wait until all the flocks have arrived, and then they move the stone, and everyone waters their sheep at the same time. And it's not like the stone's heavy to move, it was just inconvenient. So it's much easier for an unambitious worker to stand around doing nothing while they waited for the rest of the group to get there. Now Jacob has, you know, he's got his faults for sure, but laziness isn't one of them. He's not a slacker, right? And so he clearly sees that the, the need for the, shep, or for the sheep to be watered and so they can go back to grazing. And then he also sees Rachel coming in and he's like captivated with her from the get-go. And so he takes charge of the situation. He, he goes to the well, moves his stone, waters his uncle's flock of sheep, and I think it tells something about Jacob, like he's a man of initiative. He saw what needed to get done, so he does it himself. He, he, and these were his uncle's sheep, the uncle that he wants to impress, right? And they needed water, and so he just kind of takes care of it. Verses 11 through 14, he waters the sheep, and then he goes uh, up to Rachel without telling her who he was, and he plants like this big old kiss on her. And then, like, like, imagine you're Rachel, right? Some dude you've never seen before comes up, plants his kid, and then, and then just starts to cry uncontrollably. Right? Like, tears streaming down the face. And I'm like, I'm thinking about Rain, like, that's a lot, right? Some dude. And so here's what she does. She runs back home to Laban, Brings him back and Jacob introduces himself and Jacob tells Laban his story and so Laban hugs Jacob, plants a kiss on him as well and then they go to Laban's house. Verses 15 to 20, Jacob begins to work for Laban. After a while, Laban goes, hey, we've got to have a little conversation here about 
your wages, right? So you're doing all this work. We, we got we to gotta pay you for it. And it sounds like a, a nice offer, but really what Laban was doing is he was letting Jacob know, if you want to stay here, you got to stay here as a hired servant. Now, Jacob is the son of a, of a wealthy man, right? And he wasn't lazy, but he wasn't necessarily used to hard work either. And servants back then did hard work, and so now Jacob is a servant. And here's where we see a change in Jacob's life. You remember how he manipulated his brother into selling his birthright? This time, rather than negotiating his best deal from the start, Jacob's willing to serve his uncle with no strings attached so that Laban could first see firsthand how hard of a worker he was. Besides, he knew what he really wanted, right? He'd really come to Haran to look for a wife. Now, that's why he's there. Laban's got two daughters, right? Leah, the older daughter. Rachel's the younger. The Bible says in verse 17 that Leah had soft eyes or weak eyes, and there's some dispute on exactly what does that mean. Something, it, it means that her eyes weren't bad and she can see well. Uh, others think it means that her eyes were dull and not beautiful and full of life like her sister Rachel's eyes were. The Bible says this about Rachel. It says that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And so she was the first friendly face that Jacob meets in this area. So it's understandable why he had love at, at first sight and his attachment to Rachel. <laughs> So Jacob loved Rachel from the start, and he desperately wanted to marry her. And so he says to Laban, look, I'll, I'll work for you for seven years in return for Rachel's hand in marriage. So the offer to work for seven years is essentially a dowry, right? And though Jacob came from a, a family of great wealth, he, he left home with no money. So before he could take a woman in marriage, he had to provide a dowry to demonstrate he was fit to support a family and to compensate for taking of the daughter, right? So Laban's like, all right, deal. I'm in. Because seven years is a great offer, far above the normal dowry. And Jacob didn't want to risk refusal. And when Laban saw how badly he wanted to marry Rachel, he knew that he could kind of take advantage of this situation. So for the next seven years, Jacob works hard, though it seems like just a few days, the Bible says, because he was so enamored and in love with Rachel. So, so in this ancient culture, Jacob wasn't allowed to spend as much time as he wanted with Rachel because there's like these strict social guidelines, right? They, they separated unmarried Men and women, which makes it all the more impressive that Jacob was willing to wait seven years for Rachel. Then verses 21 and 25, it comes time for them to get married. And Jacob's like, all right, let's go. I did my seven years. Let, let's get this done. So he wants to take Rachel as his wife. Laban responds, invites the guests. They have this wedding, huge feast. Right? Later that night, Jacob waits in the tent for his bride so they can consummate the union. Laban pulls a, a fast one at this point. 
So instead of bringing Rachel, he brings Leah. Jacob doesn't realize he spent the night with the wrong sister until the next day. Like, I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing. Like, how does that happen? Well, it's possible for Jacob to be fooled because of the wedding customs of the day, right? According to those customs, a, a wife was veiled until she was finally alone with her husband in the tent, right? So if it was dark at the time that Jacob and his new bride were alone together, which is not hard for Laban to pull off, all he has to do is wait until it's nighttime, it helps explain a little bit on how Jacob was fooled. Or, here's another theory for you, maybe he just partied too much in the wedding, right? And he's like, I'm off my game a little bit. However it happened, it happened. And we assume that, that, that Leah was in agreement with all that, all of this, and yet if she wasn't in agreement, she was under the absolute, absolute authority of her, of her father. Right, the absolute authority of the father in the home of that culture explains why Leah did what she did and why Rachel allowed it to happen. Man, you can imagine how Jacob felt, probably imagine how Leah felt, and, and of course, we can imagine how Rachel felt. All of this because of Laban's sin, or maybe it was because of Jacob's sin, right? The deceiver got deceived. And significantly, Laban's deception towards Jacob was similar to the deception that Jacob put on his father Isaac and his brother Esau. Right? The example of, uh, and, and this is an example of, of Jacob just reaping what he had sown. Jacob exchanged the younger for the older. Laban exchanged the older for the younger. In verses 26 through 30, Jacob confronts Laban. And Laban's like this. Laban's like, you know what? You probably should have known that it would be against the custom to allow the younger daughter to be married before the first. So he's like, you're bad, dude. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Isaac's blessing was irrevocable because even though the blessing was given to the wrong person by means of deception in the same way, Jacob's night with Leah is also irrevocable. Regardless of his intentions, regardless of the promise that Laban made at the outset of their agreement, Leah is now Jacob's wife. Right? No change in that. So Laban then says to Jacob, in effect, you're stuck with Leah, but hey, I'll make you another deal. Right? Here's the deal. I'll let you marry Rachel like now, if you promise to work another seven years. Jacob doesn't see much choice in the matter. He, he's so in love with Rachel. So he agrees to work for Laban for another seven years in exchange for taking Rachel as his bride right now. So they're married, and now Jacob is the husband to both Leah and Rachel. Two sisters that really never got along in the first place. And, and as you can imagine, uh, I just got to think they are in store for some turbulent times in the future, right? Jacob would stay in Haran for 20 years where he would build up quite a fortune in spite of what Laban tried to, tried to hinder him in, you know, every step of that way. 
Eventually, Jacob would return to Canaan and be near his father. And during that journey, he would have a one-on-one with Esau, the brother who tried or wanted to kill him. Uh, and over the years, you'll know that Jacob is the father of 12 sons, one of them being Joseph, who will be gifted in this amazing coat of many colors. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. For now, with the time that we have remaining, let's just consider this morning three lessons we can learn from this chapter in Jacob's life. Three, three lessons that we, uh, hopefully, will help us understand our own journey with Christ. Go ahead and take your note sheets out. You can follow along with me as we go through this. All right, three lessons from Jacob. Lesson number one, the past doesn't let go without a fight. When Jacob has this experience at Bethel, he decides that he's ready for a new start. He, he puts his life in God's hands. He, he makes a commitment to mean business with God. He no longer wants to be the deceiver. So, so when he arrives in Haran, he gives himself fully to the service of Laban, seeking to build a family and a new future for himself. And some would say that's kind of ironic Right after engaging in such deception in the past, that he now would fall victim to deception himself. I don't think it's ironic at all. I think it's a concept of you reap what you sow. Right? It's a biblical concept. Look at what Paul said in Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8. He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap Corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So in context here, Paul's talking about bearing one another's burdens. He's talking about doing good, not growing tired, and not to give up. But I also think there's a general application in life here. And what generally what we get out of life is generally what we put into it. At the same time, I don't think Paul's advocating for some kind of law of spiritual karma here. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about we'll get good when we do good. He's not talking about we'll get bad when we do bad. Right? If that was an absolute spiritual law, we'd all be in trouble. Instead, Paul simply relates the principle of sowing and reaping to the way we manage our resources before the Lord. Or in other words, you sow deception, you invite deception into your life, right? That's what we saw with Jacob. It's not God getting even with you. It's just a spiritual law at work that applies to everybody across the board. And maybe Jacob's reputation preceded him in Haran. At any rate, Laban received, or, or senses something in Jacob's demeanor that told him this is an area where Jacob is vulnerable and I can take advantage of that, so he does. Let me say this. When you accept Christ as your Savior, he forgives you of your sins. He no longer holds your past against you. But can I also say this, that sometimes there's some baggage Maybe you find yourself ready to do away with the past, but the past isn't ready to do away with you. Maybe, maybe there's some residue from the past behavior that, that you just got to deal with. And there are times when you want to break free from the past, but the past just won't forget your name. It won't let go, or at least it won't let go without a fight. But let me tell you this this morning. It's a fight that you can ultimately win. 
No matter what your past looks like, no matter what kind of baggage you're carrying, you can overcome it. You can overcome it in Christ. You can have a new life. It involves this process of sowing a new life. In the meantime, I think we find ourselves where Jacob found himself, kind of mired in, in, in the messy middle. Well, we're trying to build a life that's pleasing to God, but we're still dealing with some stuff from yesterday. And whichever area of your life you're hoping to change, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's finances, maybe it's health, maybe it's spiritual life, just be prepared, be prepared to spend some time mired in the messy middle. I've been trying to lose some weight over the last month. And so here, let me just tell you where I'm at, right? So I have this goal. I'm about halfway there. And guess what? Now I'm like stuck. Like the last three or four days, like less than, like no, not, not even a tenth, right? I'm mean like a digital scale. <laughs> not even a tenth. Just stuck. Here, here's the thing. I'll probably be there for a while. In fact, most likely, well, not most likely, I will be there longer than I want to. Maybe for you, it's your spiritual life. Here's what I know. As we continue to walk with God and sow seeds of obedience, the messy middle becomes the manageable middle. And then it becomes the pathway to victory. Right? You, you just got to get through the messy middle. Here's the second lesson that we learn from Jacob. Number two is the greatest obstacle to overcome is you. And it can be said of every one of us that you are your own worst enemy. Right? Jacob's ready to build this new life for himself, but there's still some essential qualities that are absent from his life. His priorities are still a little out of whack. He's not fully relying on God's presence in his life. So in our story today, Jacob met Rachel at the well. And you remember a few weeks ago when Isaac came to her, actually when the servant for Isaac comes to Haran looking for a wife, he also stops at the well, right, where he met Rebekah, Jacob's mother, right? And the servant, you remember, prayed that God would help him find a woman of character, a woman with a servant's heart. And when Rebecca shows up, the servant offers praise to God. Later, when he's talking with Rebecca's family, the servant talked about how God's hand was at work and all that had happened. And when Laban, the same Laban in our story today, tried to manipulate the situation and delay them from leaving, the servant had the wisdom to stand for him and not let Laban get one up on him. In contrast today, Jacob, he, he's not praying for guidance. He, he's not thanking God for his provision or asking God for his help. We, we just see Jacob bulldozing forward. Rachel was a beautiful woman, and that was enough for him. Let's go. Later in the story, we won't get to it today, but we'll, we'll get to some of it next week. We see Jacob wasn't the most loving, attentive husband in the whole wide world. Like, like Leah felt unloved and insecure, Rachel was jealous and insecure. You know what Jacob says to him? Basically, he's like, not my problem. Not, you just need to get over it, deal with it. 
Right? He just creates more family strife. He does a terrible job of managing his household. And like his parents did with him and his brother, Jacob later in life placed favorites with his kids. Great, Jacob's greatest obstacle wasn't Laban, his greedy father-in-law's greatest obstacle wasn't his wives who fought all the time. It was Jacob himself. And then I thought, isn't that the same for you and I? Well, we have a tendency to sabotage the sex that God is ready to bring our way. And oftentimes we try to blame this person or that person or this situation or that situation. But we just need to take a long, hard look at ourselves. And we need to give some serious consideration to what is it about ourselves, our own behavior, that needs to change. For, for example, you want Jesus to bless your life, but you're not spending any time in the Bible. You're not making everything a matter of prayer, right? You're not thanking God for all that he's done, right? You're the obstacle. You want Jesus to bless your marriage, but you don't change your schedule, your priorities, the way you treat your spouse. Guess what? You're the obstacle. God simply is saying, give me first place in your life. Seek my guidance and I'll bless you. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things shall be added unto you. Right? That should be the rule in our life and ordering our priorities. Right? We need to seek first the kingdom of God. And when we do that, all these things will be added to you. His promise of heavenly treasure, his rest and divine provision and fulfillment of God's highest purpose for us, which is fellowship with him, right? And being part of his kingdom. The lesson that we learn from Jacob is as you work your way through the messy middle, pay close attention to your behavior. Make sure you're seeking God's kingdom first and following God's wisdom in your life. All right, third lesson. We got a roll. Number three, in spite of our limitations, God's ready to bless us. Ephesians 1 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord <coughs> Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This describes both the kind of blessing and the location of those blessings, right? These are spiritual blessings that God's going to give to us. Right, it's far better than material blessings. These blessings are ours in the heavenly places in Christ. Right, they're higher, they're better, they're more secure than any, than any earthly blessing that we could have. I also want you to note that this includes every spiritual blessing the text says. This means that every blessing we receive, we receive in Christ. It, it means that God wants to bless us with every blessing available to us. Right? God's resources are there for us. He wants to bless us in Christ. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. God, thank you for your great love that you have for us. For, for the blessing over our lives. God, thank you that your favor has no end. But it lasts our entire lifetime.
of each and every one of us. You know what concerns us. You, you, you know what we like, what we don't like. God, I just want to thank you for your covering today. I thank you that you will not leave us and you will not forsake us. And thank you, God, that you will accomplish what you have promised in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray.